Hello, my Rebels. Today is a very serious podcast. We have been denied a journalism license by the government of Canada. Now, since when do you need a license to do journalism? Well, that's the thing. Trudeau invented it, and he denied it to us. And I don't care about his opinions on us. It's what will happen to us because of that that worries me. I'll take you through it. Uh, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. You get the video version of the podcast. Go to rebelnewsplus.com. It's eight bucks a month. You get my video version of this show every day, plus four other shows every week. But also, please consider subscribing for eight bucks a month because that's how we live. We don't take any of that Trudeau money. And he's trying to squash us, and we really do rely on our subscribers. So that's rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, Trudeau's hand-picked censors declare that only 1% of what Rebel News publishes is news, so they won't give us a government journalism license. It's April 7th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Justin Trudeau's hand-picked government censorship panel has just declared that Rebel News journalists are not qualified to be news media. We just learned that over the past year, Trudeau has spent countless tax dollars on a hand-picked team of government censors who were studying Rebel News in secret. They never reached out to us or spoke with us or interviewed us. And that secretive government censorship panel went through 276 of our news stories. It took nearly a year to do it. Imagine government censors looking through 276 rebel news stories, many of which criticized government censorship. Now, you can like rebel news or not. That's your choice. If you don't like rebel news, unlike the CBC, you don't still have to pay for us. But Trudeau's government censorship panel made a ruling about us. They declared, get this, that, quote, Less than 1% of the content meets the criteria for original news content. <laughs> what? That's almost all we do. We're rebel news, not rebel sports or rebel weather. So Trudeau's government censorship panel says because of that, we are not legally a, quote, qualified Canadian journalism organization or QCJO, as they call it. That's a special legal term they've come up with. Uh, as the words plainly mean, it's government journalism accreditation. It's a government journalism license. So not only does that mean we're not allowed to attend government press conferences, it also punishes us under the Income Tax Act. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But first, I, I want to tell you that we're fighting back. Because if we don't fight back now against this journalism license, they're going to destroy us. Like Trudeau is doing more and more to his peaceful political opponents, like the truckers. He wants to try to do to us what he did to the truckers. If he had his way, he'd put us in jail and seize our bank accounts. This is a step in that direction. Having a government panel declare legally that our journalists are not journalists 
because if they can do this to us, their largest independent critic left in Canada, they'll do this to anyone. They'll do this to you. They'll censor you, which is why we have to fight back now, not, not later. We have to fight back right now. There might not even be a later. So we're suing Trudeau. We filed the lawsuit today in the Federal Court of Canada. I want you to see the letter sent to us by Trudeau's government censorship panel, and I want you to see our lawsuit in reply. We've put both of them on a website called wearesuingtrudeau.com. Please read our lawsuit to learn just what they've done to us and why we have to fight back. Our lawsuit's just 16 pages long, and I think it's in pretty plain English. It's an anti-censorship lawsuit. It's a free speech lawsuit. The outcome of this lawsuit will affect us, obviously, but it'll affect everyone in Canada, anyone who wants to do journalism without a government license, and every citizen in Canada who wants the freedom to choose their own choice of news without some secret government panel deciding what or is or isn't real news. I don't know if there are other journalists who are being censored right now. I know if Trudeau succeeds, we won't be the last to be censored. I think we're likely the only ones who can and will fight back. Good news is we've got an absolute top-notch legal team because we cannot take any chances here. So please go to wearesuingtrudeau.com, read the punishment letter to us by Trudeau, and read our lawsuit in reply. And if you can, please help us crowdfund our lawyers, if you can. But first, seriously, this Trudeau panel says we don't cover the news? That 99% of our news stories aren't really news? Are you kidding? News is almost all we do. It's what makes us so popular. It's why people watch us. We've published, I don't know, maybe 40,000 news stories since we were born seven years ago. That's why Trudeau hates us. That's why the people love us. It's, it's what we do. Gentlemen, put your hands together for Ezra Levant of Rebel News. Despite the uh, state of emergency that Doug Ford declared, uh, I want to fight for my freedom. Um, I got—I'm not allowed to go to college because I'm unvaccinated, and I can't play on any sports teams. So I'm fighting for my future. What's going future. on tonight, guys? Can you give me? I mean, we just been hanging out. We came, we drove up from Toronto. We brought supplies. We're going to be cooking tomorrow, and we're going to be feeding the truckers. Nice man. I'm from Toronto too. Nice to meet nice, you, bro. Our specialty is getting out into the uh, out of the office and going into the streets, going to where the news is happening and turning our cameras on and showing it to you. The last two years have really been our time to shine. We've covered protests against lockdowns. We've covered the trucker rebellion. There was one day I remember when we had 17 different journalists in nine different cities covering the news. And it was on a weekend. Just take February 5th for an example. I was so proud on a weekend. Our guys were working so hard. I tweeted. This is what I said. I said, we've got reporters today in Milk River, Coots, Toronto, Ottawa, Quebec City, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, and even Canberra, Australia. How is that possibly not news? Our reporters weren't just sitting in our offices giving our opinions on the world like most of the media party does, like this CBC star did. I do ask that because, uh, you know, given Canada's support of Ukraine in this current crisis with Russia, it, 
I don't know if it's far-fetched to ask, but, but there is concern that Russian actors could be continuing to fuel things uh, as, this, as this protest grows, but perhaps even instigating it from, from the outset. Well, again, I'm going to defer to uh, our uh, partners in the public safety, the uh, trained of, uh, officials and experts in that area. That's not news. That's a Trudeau conspiracy theory. Now, normally I wouldn't care what Trudeau thinks about us, but his hand-picked government censorship panel has tremendous power over us. They have the power of taxation. And the power to tax is the power to destroy. And they're taking more and more powers. This is a journalism license from the government. And we were just denied it. Censorship is Trudeau's most passionate obsession. I don't understand why. He, he doesn't care about inflation. He doesn't care about housing prices or the cost of gas. He doesn't care about crime or national defense. He doesn't care about clean drinking water on reserves. But he is obsessed with silencing and punishing his critics, isn't he? And he hates rebel news more than anyone. Do you remember Trudeau banned our journalists from covering the election debates in 2019 and then again in 2021? In those cases, we rushed to court to ask a judge to let us in. And in both cases, the judges agreed Trudeau's censors were violating our charter rights. And in both court cases, the court ordered Trudeau to let us in. But look at how angry and petty that made Trudeau. This is a clip from the 2021 election, hours after a judge told Trudeau that we were, in fact, journalists. Oh, he did not like that. Remember this? Maura Ugolini from Rebel News. Mr. Trudeau, the only reason that I'm allowed to ask you this question is because today the federal court ruled that the government doesn't have the right to determine who is or is not a journalist. This is the second election in a row that the court had to overturn your government. Do you still insist on being able to make that decision and why? First of all, questions around accreditation were handled by the press gallery and the consortium of uh, networks who have uh, strong perspectives on quality journalism and the important information that is shared with Canadians. Uh, the reality is organizations, organizations like yours uh, that continue to spread misinformation and disinformation on the science around vaccines, around how we're gonna actually get through this pandemic and be there for each other and keep our kids safe is part of why we're seeing such um, unfortunate uh, anger and lack of understanding of basic science. And quite frankly, your, I won't call it a media organization, your group of uh, individuals uh, need to take accountability for uh, some of the polarization that we're seeing in this country. And I think Canadians uh, are cluing into the fact that uh, there is a really important decision we take about the kind of country we want to see. And I salute all extraordinary hardworking journalists that put science and facts at the heart of what they do and ask me tough questions every day. Uh, but make sure that they are educating and informing Canadians from a broad range of perspectives, which is the last thing that you guys do. Trudeau is not prime ministerial. He's petty and partisan. He's so thin skinned. Listen to how he answered a great question from another reporter of ours who was there, Alexa Lavoie. Oh boy, look at this. Bonjour, Monsieur Trudeau, Alexa pour uh, Rebel News. Donc, Monsieur Trudeau, je vais revenir rapidement sur ce qui s'est passé hier. Vous avez dé diabolisé 
l'un des rares médias qui ne reçoit pas d'argent du gouvernement. Vous avez exprimé votre opinion en disant que nous propageons la désinformation. Si c'était vrai et si c'était le cas, la Cour, suprême, la Cour fédérale ne nous aurait pas permis d'être ici aujourd'hui. Je suis moi-même scientifique et je me base sur les faits. Ma question est la suivante. L'Israël est l'un des pays les plus vaccinés au monde. Ils sont rendus maintenant à leur quatrième rappel de vaccin. Ils ne considèrent plus que ceux qui ont reçu deux doses de vaccin sont pleinement vaccinés. Ma question est, plusieurs Québé euh, Canadiens ne désirent pas avoir une, un rappel de, de vaccin. Allez-vous leur enlever leurs privilèges reliés au passeport vaccinal? Et aurez-vous l'obligeance de répondre à ma question en tant que premier ministre ou allez-vous encore diaboliser mon média? J'ai partagé ma perspective sur ton organisation euh, hier soir. J'ai plus rien à dire. Ça demande bien qui vous vous êtes. Merci. Just hours earlier, the Federal Court of Canada had said that, in fact, yes, we are news media and yes, we must be accredited as such. But Trudeau refused. He, he refused to answer us. He thinks he's above the law. He doesn't care about the law except for as a weapon. Twice he censored us now. Twice we've gone to the federal court to appeal. Twice the judges of the federal court have said Trudeau was breaking the law and violating our rights to freedom of the press. And now we need to go back to court a third time. Let me show you a little bit more from their punishment letter. Then I want to show you more from our lawsuit. You'll, you'll see their punishment letter comes on Revenue Canada stationery. That is terrifying. In the past, Trudeau kept his politics out of the tax department. Not anymore. You now have to take a pro-liberal left-wing point of view to be compliant with the Income Tax Act. Trudeau's censors say, Rebel News does not produce original news content on the basis that the content was found to be largely opinion-based and focused on the promotion of one particular perspective. But the, but the same CRA has granted this QCJO journalism license to hard left-wing National Observer and the left-wing Toronto Star and the left-wing Narwhal and dozens of others. Those are obviously real news sources, sure, but they obviously only approach the news from one point of view, the hard left-wing point of view. And in the case of the National Observer and the Narwhal, they're environmental extremists too. The Narwhal actually used to be called D-Smog Blog. They're not balanced. They would never quote a skeptic of the theory of man-made global warming, except for to condemn him. They would never mention Donald Trump except to denounce him. So how do they get this CRA designation as licensed journalists? But we don't. So David Suzuki's 40 years of left-wing environmentalist journalism and the CBC, that's fine. But our opinions aren't fine, says the government. And then the government uses that to deny us a journalism license. But it doesn't even make any sense because if we offer an opinion on the news, which, which we sometimes do, It's obviously based on having shown you the news first. Here's the news. Now here's what we think about the news. I mean, when our reporter Lincoln Jay and our reporter Alexa Lavoie were live streaming for hours from the Ottawa truckers uh, uh, protest, I mean, sure, they were giving their comments along the way, but it's absurd to declare that 100 hours of news footage isn't still news. Isn't this whole thing absurd? But do I really have to justify our journalistic choices day to day and our opinions and our edits to some government bureaucrat. They're now the deciders of what is real news and what isn't. Our readers can't be the deciders. Trudeau's friends are the deciders now. 
There's another really weird part to their punishment letter. Anytime we give credit to another news organization, which I think is good practice, they claim that means it's not news anymore. Look at this. I mean, here they give a few examples. So seriously, just by crediting someone else for, let's say, breaking a scoop, which is the ethical thing to do when we refer to someone else's previous work, that suddenly means that we're not, what we're doing is no longer news. I should say that the vast majority of our journalism is completely original. It's going places and pointing our camera at things. But seriously, they're claiming that when we give the odd shout out to other media, that makes us fake news or something? Literally every journalist does that or should be doing that. I mean, the Toronto Star, the CBC, they do that from time to time. But that's a reason Trudeau is denying our status. It's in the, it's in the letter. See for yourself. They even say that when I post short excerpts of my own work, that means we're not news. I'm serious. It's in the letter. Who made up these bizarre rules? Well, we don't know all the members of the secret panel who sat in judgment of Rebel News. But their boss, Colette Brin, who was handpicked by Trudeau for this censorship position, she wrote a report blacklisting us that the CRA just adopted as their own. This is Canada's chief censor. I know you've never heard of her before. No one has. She, she hasn't been elected. She hasn't been vetted. She's just a trustworthy Trudeau appointee who knows what the boss wants. This is outrageous, of course. It's un-Canadian, of course. It's censorship, of course. It's against the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. It's a violation of freedom of the press. And the reason I'm worried about it is not because I want Trudeau to like me. It's because I want him to leave me alone and stop punishing independent media and our viewers. Because that's what denying us this QCJO journalism license will do. We're not applying for any government grant, which is a big thing you could get with this QCJO journalism license. We would never take Trudeau's money. We don't work for Trudeau. We work for you, our viewers. But you need one of these journalism licenses to issue a basic receipt to your paying subscribers for them to claim it's an expense on their taxes. So if you have a subscription to the left-wing pro-Trudeau Toronto Star... You can take your receipt and claim that subscription on, on your taxes because they have the Trudeau-approved journalism license. Our viewers can't do that because Trudeau doesn't think we're real news. So he's punishing us, punishing our viewers. It's an attack on people who have a different point of view than Trudeau using the CRA. And just this week, Trudeau's new censorship minister, Pablo Rodriguez, announced that there will be even more laws censoring the media, especially in the internet. He says he's going to demand that Facebook and Google now artificially promote Canadian news sites, pumping them up in their algorithms, but only those Trudeau-approved media with his journalism license get that promotion. Other media, by default, get pushed down. So it's not just Trudeau who is punishing journalists he doesn't like. He's forcing Facebook and Google to punish his enemies, too. I'll let you read their whole punishment letter for yourself. You really have to read. I just can't get over that one line that claims that we only produce 1% news. You really have to read it to see how extremist these people are. But I want you to take some hope in our lawsuit, and I want you to read it in full. It's only 16 pages long. It's at the website wearesuingtrudeau.com. I'm going to whip through it, okay? You can see we're suing the CRA because they're the ones, bizarrely, put in charge of issuing Trudeau's journalism license. In the first paragraph, we make our demand. Let me read. 
Rebel News seeks a declaration that the QCJO refusal is unreasonable and unlawful and an order quashing the QCJO refusal. Rebel News also seeks an order directing the Canada Revenue Agency to reverse the QCJO refusal and to designate Rebel News as a qualified Canadian journalism organization pursuant to the Income Tax Act. That's how we put it to the federal court when we were banned by Trudeau from attending the election debates. Now, we point out that Trudeau is one of the worst censors we've ever met so far in the world. Let me read. Rebel News has been granted media accreditation by governments in Canada, the United States, both the White House and Congress, United Kingdom, European Union, Sweden, Netherlands, Israel, Poland, and India. Rebel News has also been granted accreditation in partly free countries, such as Iraq and Morocco. Rebel News has also approved media at the United Kingdom Court of Appeal and the Old Bailey Central Criminal Court amongst others. So this is a Trudeau obsession. The rest of the world's fine with us. Let me show you paragraph 15 of the lawsuit. We, we asked to talk to these censors, to, to give them any info, to answer any questions they might have. They refused. It was all done in secret. Let me quote. Rebelews then followed up with CRA on its QCJO application numerous times between August 8, 2021 and November 10, 2021. On November 10, 2021, Rebel News was advised that its QCJO application had been reassigned to other CRA staff. Rebel News made multiple offers during this period to discuss its application with CRA staff. Upon further follow-up by Rebel News, CRA advised on January 26, 2022 and February 22, 2022, that the QCJO application was still being reviewed and discussed internally. But that's a, a lie uh, by Trudeau, actually, as, as you can see. Um, they had already blacklisted us uh, before then. Look at the date on the letter. The punishment letter was dated before. They lied to us by pretending they were undecided. Look, the fix was in from the beginning, but they can't even get their story straight. Now, our lawsuit talks about how rigorously we take our journalism here, our fact-checking and our editing. But, but look at this. I think it's right. Rebel News is generally critical of government action or inaction and has a mission statement to, quote, tell the other side of the story. Rebel News is akin to an official opposition to legacy media and government narratives as a counterweight to the dominant point of view. Rebel News is one of the few Canadian media outlets having the power, freedom, and will to meaningfully challenge government figures and policies in the political views presented in Canada's legacy media. So, so when Trudeau's censorship panel says we take a particular point of view, well, I don't know, maybe we do sometimes like most humans do, but it's just that they hate our point of view because it's independent. And by the way, we don't just scorch Trudeau liberals. Ask Doug Ford and Jason Kenney, the alleged conservatives, how we treat them. I'll read more. Rebel News seeks to set uh, aside assumptions and prejudices and to find facts that are overlooked or ignored by mainstream media. Rebel News is a frequent critic of Canada's federal and provincial governments, and in particular of the governments of Alberta, Ontario, and the government of Canada, including their respective premiers and prime minister. I love this line. Rebel News is a member of the Independent Press Gallery of Canada. Rebel News has become a well-known media organization which is accessible to Canadians and uses its platform to not only share news stories, but to report on entities that offend civil liberties and hold those entities accountable. Rebel News takes independence of the press seriously. Exactly. Show me another news company in Canada that cares as much about civil liberties as we do. There are none. Niche. Rebel News does not promote a particular perspective any more than many other outlets that have previously received the QCJO designation. 
It seeks to tell another side of a story regardless of the perspective that may that side may have. Sometimes that results in a conservative law and order oriented story, while other times the story is about overreach or selective enforcement by authorities, both being the other side of stories not being pursued by mainstream media. To do this, Rebel News seeks multiple perspectives and grabs opportunities for rebuttal or to simply comment on the story, both of which allow Rebel News to present alternative perspectives as set out in the guidelines. That's true, isn't it? I think that's true. Okay, let me show you just one more part of the lawsuit. But please do read it in your, for yourself in full at wearesuingtrudeau.com. Okay, this is the last part I'll quote. Look at paragraph 36. We're demanding to look at all the records by Trudeau's censors, everything they looked at to make their censorship decision, their briefing notes, their research, their analysis, their conversations with politicians and the politicians' staff, their draft reports, everything. What was the secret committee doing? Who was whispering in their ears? Was Gerald Butts involved again? So that's our lawsuit. In the last page there, you can see we've hired two outstanding lawyers, Robert Hawks, Queen's Counsel, and Sarah Miller, the Top Gun lawyer who's been fighting for Pastor Arthur Pavlovsky because this is a brutal battle against censorship. Trudeau really does want to stamp us out. Look, we don't want any of Trudeau's money. We, we want our freedom and our independence. His journalism license is un-Canadian. And denying that license to us has the effect of censoring us, not just banning us from press conferences, which is bad enough, but also denying us equal treatment under the Income Tax Act and forcing Google and Facebook to censor us too. We have to fight back, we, we have to take them to the federal court where we have beat Trudeau's censors twice in a row now. Please go to wearesuingtrudeau.com, read their punishment letter denying us the journalism license, read our lawsuit in reply, sign our petition to have the government drop this bizarre and un-Canadian Journalism license. Sign the petition against journalism licenses. And one last thing, if you can, please help us cover our legal costs. Please do. You can do that right there on the page. This is an important fight. Thanks for your support. You know, we're fighting for our own rights here, obviously. We're fighting for our viewers' rights, obviously. But I really believe we're fighting for all Canadians who care about freedom in the press and stopping Trudeau's censorship plans. Please go to wearesuingtrudeau.com. Well, that's a heavy-duty battle. I really think Trudeau's obsessed with us. Um, I, I think the reason he's obsessed with us has to do with that Ash conformity test. As long as there's one other voice in the country saying Trudeau's wrong, you're not crazy, he is, that inspires people. That's why the truckers were so successful, is that the truckers were proof to millions of Canadians they weren't alone in saying, we're in a terrible place. And... That's why Trudeau doesn't just need 99% of media on his side. That last 1% is the most important 1% to get rid of. I'm not going down without a fight. And neither is my friend, our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed, who this week has shown the importance of Rebel News and telling the other side of the story and being counter to the official government narrative. She joins me now via Skype from her headquarters in Edmonton. Sheila, how are you doing? 
I'm great, boss. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, I have uh, I, I love Twitter too much. A little bit of an addict. I'm even more excited about it since Elon Musk joined the board. But um, I've been following on Twitter your close coverage of a trial in which Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's public health officer, is being grilled at great length on her decisions. I think this is the first time in Canada, and maybe it's the first time in America because I don't recall seeing it, that a public health officer under oath is being grilled not just for hours but for days about her decisions. I do dare say this is the first time I've seen it. Tell me about the trial a little bit and who's there, who's who in the zoo, and what's what you've heard so far. Sure. So this is a trial on behalf, it's a lawsuit really, on behalf of two churches uh, in Southern Alberta in Medicine Hat and then a gym owner and then another person. And they are suing not only the, only the Alberta government, but also the chief medical officer of health, who happens to be Dina Hinshaw for violating their charter rights with these constant edicts and restrictions on their businesses and places of worship. And we're at the portion of the lawsuit wherein Dina Hinshaw is being cross-examined on her evidence. And we've got two lawyers from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And we've got Jeffrey Rath. He's another lawyer who's representing um, a, a gym owner in this. And they are meticulously cross-examining Dina Hinshaw on her evidence. And they sat down and they, God bless these men, went through four hundred separate Dina Hinshaw press conferences because early in the pandemic, she said the only place to find reliable information about the pandemic was basically Alberta Health Services and other official government agencies, the World Health Organization. And otherwise you were spreading misinformation. And she called people at the time who did not buy into the official government narrative with regard to COVID and vaccines and lockdowns, naysayers, conspiracy theorists. And my favorite term that she used was non-believers and unbelievers, uh, as though this is some sort of religious cult. And based on the rituals I see from that side of the aisle, I'm willing to hear those arguments. Um, and, and they went through her press conferences and they pointed out, okay, well, you told people to be wary of misinformation. Okay. Yep. You did. Next day you told people that vaccines were 80% effective upon the first dose. And, you know, they just went through all the misinformation that she had been sharing in her daily press conferences while she had been accusing other people of misinformation. And really, you know, she behaves completely the same way that we see as Albertans when she takes to the podium to give her daily and now weekly press conferences. Basically, you know, that same cloying, condescending way that she talks to Albertans that we're all in this together. We have to take care of each other. And she's excusing away the misinformation she spread and the overreaction of the government by saying, well, that's just the information that we had at the time available. So this is what we did. And to sit, she has used the phrase sparingly and sparsely several times in court to describe the edicts that she brought down that did such terrible things as limit people's churches to 15% capacity, to funerals, regardless of the size of the church, to just 10 people, to close restaurants, to indoor dining. She calls that sparingly and sparsely. Yeah. You know, um, 
everyone just played a giant game of Simon Says, yeah. or I guess Anthony Fauci Says, and they just all repeated each other. And I'd like to point out that Scott Gottlieb, the former FDA commissioner who's now uh, works as a Pfizer executive, uh, he said something astonishing. He and this is a former FDA commissioner. He said, "No one knows where the six feet separation came from. There was no study. Yeah. It just someone said it, and everyone repeated it. And six feet in other countries, it's two meters, which is slightly different. In some places, it's one meter." I, I saw some explanation somewhere that, well, two meters is safer than one meter, so let's do two meters. I saw a case somewhere where uh, regulators came in with tape measures, and if something was an inch less than six feet, well, science says that one inch is putting you in peril. There was the separation of two different barbershop chairs, and that whole fake public health theater, no one knows where the rumor came from. It's like... I don't know, like a ghost story or an internet myth. And to see Scott Gottlieb say, yeah, no one, no one knows where they came from. And, and to see people like Dina Hinshaw um, be so, I mean, talk about a believer. She's the zealot who was acting like the, the one going based on faith rather than science. Yeah, I mean, and just complete nonsense. At one point, uh, she was asked, basically what happened to all the instances of flu. Um, she was cross-examined on her evidence, and I, I believe it was Leighton Gray with the Justice Center. He said, you reported on, I think it was April 9th, actually, uh, 2021, you got up in your daily press conference and said, great news, we made it through flu season of 4.5 million Albertans, by the way without a single reported influ instance of influenza. And she said, yes. And he said, have you ever seen anything like that ever happen before? She said, no. Um, and he said, are you telling me that influenza was eradicated in Alberta? And she said, yes, that is my opinion. And he asked her, why? How could you make this outlandish declaration, basically? And she said, well, it's because the flu responded to the restrictions that we were making on your home, on your life, how far you had to stay from away from each other, forcing masks onto your kids, the uh, hypochondriac hand washing before you come into a grocery store, following the arrows, I guess, on the floor. <laughs> she said the flu responded to those things, but not the disease that it was designed to respond, yeah. that, that was designed to respond yeah. to those things. Unbelievable. Now, the, you know, I, I like to quote the Coen Brothers film, uh, True Grit, which is a great remake of that movie. I highly recommend it. And, I, and there's this one scene where a bad guy is, says, I don't need a good lawyer. He's a bandit. He says, I don't need a good lawyer. I need a good judge. And I know that in Alberta, there are some atrocious judges. I know that because one of them named Adam Germain was so bizarre in his ruling of, of Arthur Pavlovsky. He absolutely, obviously lives in terror, this judge, Adam Germain, of COVID, because he says, everyone in the province knows someone who has died. We must, and you must read this statement saying you are a believer in, in COVID-19. Like it was such a crazy judge who obviously wasn't, in fact, who acknowledged he hadn't read, uh, even bothered to read Arthur Pavlovsky's lawyer's documents. Shocking, shocking, shocking. 
Arthur Pawlowski had one of the best lawyers in the province, but it doesn't matter if you've got a crummy judge who is personally terrified of COVID, was too lazy to read the documents, and just hated the cut of Pawlowski's jib. The fact that Adam Germain is a former liberal candidate, I think probably had something to do with it too. So here's my question for you. How is the judge handling things? I mean, judges sometimes are inscrutable. How is, who's the judge and what's he or she saying and doing? Um, I just was looking for the name of the judge because I had, oh, Justice Ann Kirker. Nope. Yes. Nope. That was in a prior case. Sorry. Justice Barbara Romaine is the one presiding over this hearing. And in my opinion, and I've watched a ton of these court cases, she is taking her job very seriously. But there are points at which where she seems to be objective versus lawyers do. So. Uh, that uh, makes me kind of anxious because you can see that she is sort of losing patience with um, with Rath, Jeffrey Rath, and with Leighton Gray um, as they are doing their best to try to get answers out of Dina Hinshaw, and she doesn't really seem to be giving a lot of those. And before Alberta Health Services lawyers can launch an objection, she's stopping huh. and asking them to, you know you've asked this, she's answered, move on. So there's a lot of that happening. And that makes me very nervous for how this is going to go. Today, um, court broke for the afternoon um, because some questions were posed to Dina Hinshaw that could be covered under cabinet confidentiality, uh, confidentiality, confidentiality. Let me try to say that again, Um, where uh, lawyers want to know what she advised cabinet to do And did they do more, really, than what she asked them to do? Who's the overreacting one here? Was it her or was it cabinet? And uh, the judge said that she will ask those questions of Hinshaw in private and then make a decision on whether or not those um, answers are relevant to the case. So that's where we're at today. And it sounds like what should have been, you know, a couple of days of cross-examination. Now it's going to bleed into four, five, maybe six days. Um, Alberta Health Services lawyers haven't even asked anything on direct yet. We're not even there yet. And this was supposed to be three days. Wow. This is a massive lawsuit. I'm so proud of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms for championing it. And it's just such a aching reminder of the absence of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association or any other. I mean, this is actually, it sounds unique in all of North America. I may be missing some case in the United States. Imagine if every public health tyrant, and I call them a tyrant in the old Latin meaning of that sense, is an emergency dictator who's not bound by the legislatures. Um, as RFK Jr. told our Democracy Fund town hall the other day, and he's a real liberal, when there's a regulation, there has to be a public hearing and a public consultation, and there has to be um, the cost-benefit analysis, and what are the side effects of this? None of that. None of that. Like I say, Scott Gottlieb said someone just made up the six-foot thing, and everyone said six feet, six feet, like they're like they were a bunch of uh, pigeons or, or seagulls. Me, 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 six feet, six feet, six feet. And um, Tina Hinshaw is a tyrant. I'm not saying she's tyrannical in her personality. In fact, she's a very low energy, sort of pitiful personality. But those are the worst tyrants because they, they're deceptive. Um, and, and I congratulate the plaintiffs and the, and the lawyers for doing this. If only every one of these TV tyrants, these MD tyrants, had been subjected to this grilling, 
to make them think about these things for the first time in their lives, to challenge them for the basis they have. We need this kind of a truth and reconciliation post-mortem. Mm. We will not get that. I can assure you that whatever, you know, commissions of inquiry are struck, if they even are, I mean, who would you even trust to put on an independent commission of inquiry? Who's, who doesn't have uh, their own hands in what's happened over the last year? What politician, government or opposition, right. what judge, what college of physicians? Like, is there a single person of authority in this country who is not complicit? In I don't even know who I would trust to have some sort of inquiry. And uh, this, sound, uh, this sounds like it may well be the only time we have some accountability questions, and it seems like the judge is doing her best to, to block for the witness, and the witness doesn't have much to say. Yeah, this is as close as I think we are going to get to holding any one of these public health officials to account, because at the beginning of the pandemic, Dina Hinshaw, she got a raise. We can hold the politicians who listened to her to account, but she will continue whether she's a success or an absolute failure, continue to make at least two times what the premier of Alberta makes. Uh, she's one of the highest paid bureaucrats in the province. And this is the only time that she will be held account and made to answer for her decisions. Uh, and, you know, she's being pressed on what did you consider? Did you consider the bankruptcies that would result from these things? Did you consider that you would drive people to suicide? Did you consider that this spike, spike in opioid deaths is related to the lockdown and serve? You know, she's being asked those sorts of questions. And I'm not even sure if she's ever actually even thought about this stuff <laughs> before yeah. when she was making her edicts, what it meant to sign your name to the bottom of the court paper that closed Grace Life Church and drove hundreds of Christians underground. Yeah. I don't think she's ever even thought about it. Yeah. You know, I remember when Dina Hinshaw got up there at a press conference and claimed that a, a teenager, a child of young years had died from COVID. And that was a very important argument for her because it, it was an attempt to say, no, 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 this disease is of great risk to everyone, not just old people, fat people, sick people. No, 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 we must keep schools closed. We must put masks on kids. And it turned out to be a damnable lie. And the only reason we learned it was a lie is because the family said, do not step on our child's dead body for your politics. Uh, our child died that, of Ezra. cancer. You political profiteer. That is a satanic thing to do, to use the death of a child for your own political career. I'll never forget or forgive Dr. Dina Hinshaw for using a dead child to promote her political career. She's a disgrace and will take that to her death. You know, it's even worse than that. That actually was touched upon by the lawyers in court. And the implication was that she would use, this is what the lawyers are arguing, she would use the deaths of these children before a vaccine rollout for that demographic, for that age group. So before they rolled out the vaccine for kids under the age of 18, she brought up this 14-year-old who she said had died of COVID instead of with COVID. By the way, it sounds like that young man got COVID while he was in hospital. So from the system, he got COVID. Uh, the second time she did this was when she did a public announcement of a child under the age of two that died of COVID. And this sort of, the lawyers pointed out, is this coincides with when they made vaccines available for kids under the age of 11. Mm -hmm. So this announcement was sort of made to, as the lawyers said, terrorize parents into mm -hmm. getting their kids vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. And she, Dina Hinshaw, did not have the permission of the family to release 
the information about the death of that 14-year-old boy. She said she removed enough identifying details from the case to make it difficult for people to know who the kid was. But the parents sure knew. And the only time that they ever, you know, sort of reassessed why the young man died was when the family gave her the business end of a phone call. Otherwise, that would have just hung out there in the public ethos that this was a death of a young child due to COVID when it was brain cancer. And Dina Hinshaw is guilty of Jeffrey Epstein levels of evil. I mean, imagine taking dead children and turning them into press releases to sell pharma. That is so satanically gross. And I will predict right now that she will win this lawsuit. I'm glad you're covering it, Sheila. Uh, it continues. Uh, it sounds like it'll continue for quite a while. I encourage yeah. our viewers to follow your Twitter account, uh, which I love to do because you're really live tweeting it. So it's, it's a really excellent way to follow. I feel like I've... I mean, I haven't read everything you've done on it, but I feel like I'm really up to speed with it. So thanks for doing that. And um, I'm just, just to hear this. And, and, and it's that lameness that, oh, I don't know, that, that low energy, low accountability. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, the lives she destroyed, the rights she violated, the people she lied about, the fact that she still holds office redounds to Jason Kenney's eternal disgrace as well, I should tell you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people, you know, like keep sort of try to keep your commentary out of the court's uh, live tweeting. And I do. I try to put my commentary in brackets. But I think people should remember that we have been in the meat grinder of Dina Hinshaw's edicts for two years and when I say we, I mean, as journalists, we are the ones on the scene, not always affected by the lockdown because we're journalists and, you know, we didn't lose our jobs because of it. But we are the ones telling the stories of the people who are being so grievously harmed by these edicts that she makes from a desk in Edmonton. She doesn't have to talk to Tim Stevens' family or Art Pulowski's family or... Um, Ms. Ingram, I know her from Calgary. She's a gym owner, who, a single mom whose life was actually completely destroyed by these edicts. She doesn't know Chris Scott or his employees or any number of the people who go to Grace Life Church who were forced underground because of her edicts. So when we're covering this, it's hard to keep your opinions to yourself because, boy, I've got a ton of them because yeah. I've talked to enough people harmed by Dina Hinshaw. Yeah. All right, Sheila, thanks for the great work. I appreciate it. You got it, boss. There you have it, Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter in uh, the company and our bureau chief in Alberta. Stay with us. Your letters to me next. Hey, welcome back. Your viewer feedback. Dave Ed says, ever since Noam Chomsky showed his true colors with his wicked comments about starving the unvaxxed, I could not care less about what he believes or thinks. His true worries are about his personal clock running out. He spent his life talking to others about problems and never fixed any himself. You know, I mean, I guess I hadn't followed him a lot since I interviewed him seven years ago. Um, I'll be honest, I, I actually hadn't followed him. Uh, since then, and I was talking to him about his, you know, media concentration stuff and his views on on Israel or whatever. So, um, 
I'm, I appreciate you bringing, uh, emphasizing his bizarre comments about the unvaxxed. Yeah, I think he's lost his moral compass. Michael Stevenson says uh, manufacturing consent was the playbook for lockdowns. Well, and, you know, if you thought media control was a problem, you know, 50 years ago, imagine it in the age of digital control where you can just censor the algorithm. Albert Finnan says, hey, Rebel News, why don't you have Gab.com on your share side? They believe in free speech. I can't recall if we have a Gab account. I apologize. We have so many different social media companies, YouTube, Rumble, Twitter, SuperU, Odyssey, Getter, Parler. I just can't remember if we have Gab. My friends, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with a video of the day from Sidney Fizard, a pastor ticketed over $17,000 after battling the Quarantine Act. I'll leave you on that. Bye-bye. When churches were no longer able to gather thanks to COVID health orders in Manitoba, one pastor stood above the rest in defiance. Now quarantine tickets, Pastor Tobias Tissen fights on. Over a year ago, he defied COVID emergency orders by attending protests against said COVID emergency orders, and more grievously, for practicing his religion. This was seen by the state as defying public gathering limits of no greater than five. Tobias was fined thousands for this alone. Group gatherings of over five people are restricted, and that means there's a rule against that, so don't do it. The Church of God, which Pastor Tobias belongs to, was also fined $5,000 for hosting in-person church service. And after a battle with RCMP over parking lot access, they were later fined for drive-in church services as well. Both forms of worship were considered illegal at that time. Tickets and non-compliance continued until months later when a warrant for six individuals for multiple breaches of so-called public health and safety measures ensued. Over a period of months and after the issuance of multiple tickets and repeated attempts to educate, members of the Public Safety Investigations Unit obtained warrants of arrest for six individuals. They stem from breaches of the public health orders. Pastor Tobias was one of those individuals and we caught up with him while the warrant was active to hear his side of the story. He continued hosting church services despite the warrant and stated that authorities would have to arrest him at the church, where he continued to present himself during church services. While this warrant was active, Pastor Tobias faced what he would call Gestapo tactics, much like his family had fled Europe from in years past. I've had ancestors in Russia that were being persecuted for, for their faith. They would be, the Christian leaders would be picked up at church taken to the police station and said, this is the fine. You're not leaving here until you paid. And then from there, it got worse to where they got arrested and in a lot of cases killed. His church also now faced a potential $1 million fine. Pastor Tobias continued on without being arrested until October 18th, when the RCMP arrested him in front of his crying children, as opposed to the church where he had frequently presented himself for arrest. He was let free around 45 hours later after signing conditions for his release, and our chief videographer, Mocha, was quickly on scene to hear from the church. We later caught up with Pastor Tobias himself to find out what conditions he had to sign in order to be released, along with his expectations moving forward. While I'm not allowed to incite or organize or invite anybody to a gathering that is in contravention of COVID-19, it goes on to say, to clarify, this does not affect his ability to perform regular religious services 
and perform his duties as a pastor. Even after resolving the matter of his warrant, authorities continued to harass his family. Pastor Tobias called them out for these tactics and instead of meeting with police, at which time he was given over $17,000 in fines for hosting church services in violation of the Quarantine Act. So you didn't quarantine then when you came in? As Pastor Tobias has stated previously, he and the church hold the understanding that these health orders are in violation of our fundamental freedoms here in Canada. Joining us today is Pastor Tobias to talk about this latest wave of tickets that were brought on because of the way he practices his faith and it's so being deemed illegal by the state under the Quarantine Act. Been through a lot, I guess, in the last two years. And of course, many of you have seen previous coverage from Rebel News for all the stuff we've been through as far as fines and arrest. All right, so Tobias, can you step out of the car? You're under arrest. You have an outstanding warrant for your arrest, okay? And, you know, fines have kept coming all the way up to this year so far. As far as them targeting us for um, keeping on gathering as a church, that has stopped, and we're very thankful for that. We've been able to gather peacefully since June of last year, and we consider that as a win for for us at this point because it's obviously better to be able to gather peacefully instead of having or knowing that you're being surveilled and they're trying to see if there's more charges coming and all that so we're very thankful for that especially considering in the beginning of the pandemic when you weren't even allowed to have church services within your parking lot with the windows up being alone at home and watching a virtual service does not replace worship. Right. It's definitely a good break, but you know what? God has used this to strengthen us and has helped us through this all amazingly. And praise be to him for how he has helped us through all this. Many people expect, and there's rumor of another wave that's coming along or in the fall, they might try and reimpose a lot of these restrictions. Are you still concerned moving forward? At this point, nothing will surprise me. You know, they've, they have never in these last two years, they've not lifted the restrictions as far as they have up till now. But, you know, nothing would surprise me because they've done the yo-yo thing with, with all of us for so long now. Never they've lifted things as much as now, but they have eased and then they've restricted. And, you know, we don't have any say over that. We don't have control over that. And so I feel like what I'm going to do is with with God's help, I'm going to recharge now and and get strengthened. And I'm sure there's more ahead of us. Right now, the Democracy Fund is lending a helping hand with some of the tickets for the legal end of things. What is the Democracy Fund helping you with right now? So right now, they're helping me with my latest two tickets that I received in December or was it beginning of January and that was regards to some traveling I did for religious reasons I went to uh to a conference in uh, Mexico and I had a religious exemption and when I came home um you know my responsibility is to help with leading services and and be there you know and they obviously don't recognize that as essential 
And so there were some tickets that came through that, which the Democracy Fund is helping me fight. As was mentioned, Pastor Tobias is being helped with his quarantine tickets through the help of the Democracy Fund, who retained lawyer Sarah Miller to help with these tickets. Here's what she had to say about the situation. Those tickets are quite expensive, over $8,000 a piece, and the Crown is prosecuting him and we're currently seeking either some sort of early resolution or something that seems reasonable in light of the circumstances. So. We've entered a not guilty pleas. We've requested disclosure. Uh, just last week, we received disclosure, and we're now uh, in correspondence with the Crown to see what we can do as for next states. I appreciate you guys sticking to the end. And if you want to help Pastor Tobias and his legal defense, you can go to fightthefines.com. Donations there go directly to his legal defense, and they would also qualify you for a charitable tax receipt. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. For Rebel News, I'm Sydney Vizard.